so anyway, after about a year, I, uh, you know, I was uh, smuggled across the uh, Persian Gulf on a boat, and we went through a uh, not not directly through it, but on the outskirts of a hurricane, and uh, which it still hit us. You know, we almost uh, drowned. You know, the, the ship almost went down, sunk. And so the the irony is that you escaped war and then almost drowned in a hurricane <laughs> boat. Yeah. I know, I know. It was it was it was something. Welcome to You Are the Guest, a weekly show where you can be the guest and tell people what you and your friends and neighbors think about news events and issues of the day. It's part talk show, part opinion poll, part reality show, and a whole lot of fun. And it's completely dependent upon your participation as a guest. To be considered as a guest for a future show, check out the website at www.youaretheguest.com for details. Now here is your program host, Bill Grady. Greetings from the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa. And welcome to show number 90 of You Are the Guest, the show where we talk to everyday people just like you and me about their lives and about the issues of the day. Our guest today joins us somewhere within the United States. Dariush Ranmanish, welcome to You Are the Guest. Thank you. And did I say your name right? Yes, you did. Okay. But throughout this interview, we'll call you Dar. How's that? Sounds good to me. Dar, can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. Uh, my name is Dar, or uh, Darius, or Darius Rudmanish, um, from Kirksville, Missouri. Um, I'm half uh, uh, Iranian, uh, half American, uh, but I consider myself to be an American, actually, um, and uh, proud of it. Uh, I've, uh, you know, lived uh, in Iran for several years. I uh, uh, was held hostage. Well, we, as a family, were held hostage. Uh, by that I mean we were uh, uh, not allowed to leave the country for about nine years. And uh, when I was uh, 16, I uh, was yanked off the street and forced to uh, fight in the Iran-Iraq War in the 1980s. Well, uh, I was finally able to escape with the help of the U.S. State Department in 1987. And we want to find out about this fascinating story. First of all, let's go back to your early roots. Born in Kirksville, Missouri. Correct. And how did you get from Kirksville to Iran? Well, um, my dad, <clears throat> he uh, was actually a student at uh, what used to be uh, uh, an MSU, which is now Truman State University. Uh, my mom, uh, of course, you know, was and is a uh, uh, local local girl. You know, she uh, was actually working at what used what used to be Grim Smith Hospital uh, as a nurse. And uh, well, uh, you know, they they met, and uh, my father, of course, you know, he's from Iran. Uh, they they met and they got married and uh, of course uh, I came along and uh, then uh, after he uh, graduated he he uh, took us to Iran and that's pretty much how all that started. You sound remarkably American. Do you know some Persian? Oh, absolutely. I in fact I uh, <clears throat> I can read Persian. I can uh, write Persian fluently. I uh, understand the Afghani Dari Pashto uh, dialect, which is also uh, dialect off of the uh, Persian language. That's why they call it, they call it Farsi Dari Pashto. You know, it's uh, uh, so. Yes, I, I also understand and speak two different Persian dialects. Um, could could you say welcome to you are the guest in Persian so I could hear what that sounds like? <laughs> sure. Uh, let's see. That would be Khushamadi Shema Mehmanam Ahasid. So as you 
learned this, you learned this at what age? What, what age did you learn the new language? Well, uh, speaking the language and, you know, understanding it, of course, comes from a young age because your dad, you know, happens to be, uh, 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 you know, that was his language, of course, you know, so his tongue. So you pick up on it pretty quick. Um, and then, of course, once, we, you know, we went to Iran, uh, you know, all my cousins over there, you know, my, uh, uh, my dad's mom, my grandmother, my aunt's uncles, on my dad's side, you know, they, uh, they're all Persian, so, you know, you pick that up. Um, of course, I didn't start, I, I really didn't start uh, learning how to read or write until uh, after the revolution, because what happened was I was actually, uh, uh, during the Shah's time, uh, during our uh, uh, time there, prior to, prior to the revolution, my parents actually put me in a, uh, an American school, you know, for the American kids that were there, you know, that their fathers were either engineers uh, working for the United States that were posted in Iran, or their fathers were with the military. You know, and these kids had their own American school, and then my parents put me in, uh, uh, you know, they enrolled me in the uh, American school. So uh, I never really learned how to read or write uh, Farsi, Persian, until after the revolution, because then they, of course, closed all the schools down, all the Americans left, and uh, so I was forced to uh, uh, learn uh, how to, you know, write, read and write uh, Persian. What was life like before the revolution? Oh, <clears throat> from what I remember, uh, it was very, very nice, very easy, very, uh, especially if you was an American. I mean, man, I tell you, you, uh, I, I can, I very uh, uh, distinctly remember that my mom uh, used to sit down and watch Days of Our Lives. I mean, you know, they had American soap operas. Um, I, my dad, had, you know, had, he made a lot of friends with a lot of the American uh, military personnel there. You know, we used to go to the uh, nightclubs, American nightclubs, um, of course, we didn't. You know, I was a kid, but I remember. You know, they used to go there all the time. And matter of fact, there was this one club called the uh, PIC Club, uh, which was uh, uh, the, the club for the engineers who worked for uh, Polyacryl. And uh, we used to go there, and it was packed with Americans. You know, they had dancing, they had uh, everything. So it was it was like being in Hawaii. You know. Tell me about the day that it changed for you. Well, <clears throat> the day that it changed. Um, was pretty much uh, when, uh, well, it was sometime in the uh, early part of 1979. You know, it's right after the hostage uh, taking of the American uh, personnel, the American embassy in Tehran. Um, you know, we, uh, my father, for some reason, you know, I've, I've asked him <laughs> this question over the years, and he, he uh, never really gave me a straight answer why, but um, he decided to wait to the last minute before we, you know, decided, okay, you know, it's time for us to go. Well, by the time he came out with this decision, it was too late. You know, they, um, a couple of guards broke into our, you know, pretty much broke the door down, came in, and uh, uh, accused, accused my father of, uh, you know, uh, being a uh, spy for the American government, you know, and uh, all this. And, uh, and were you just scared out of your mind? Well, I mean, sure. I mean, I, I, I remember being really, you know, frightened, but I was seven years old, you know, I really didn't understand uh, you know, what, uh, what danger really is in its complete sense, you know, if you know what I mean, you know, I, but I knew something was wrong, you know, I didn't, uh, you know, they, they, uh, they yelled at my father, yelled at my mother, you know, of course, this to a kid is, you know, mind-boggling, you don't know what the hell is going on, excuse me, <laughs> you don't know what the heck's going on, you know. Um, so you're seven well, years old, and from that on, your world has changed and your life has changed oh, in absolutely. Iran. 
So how are they treating Americans from that day forward? Well, to be honest, you know, <clears throat> at the beginning, uh, the first uh, two, three years, uh, you know, granted there was a lot of Iranians that, uh, uh, even though they, they supported the government, they, they didn't believe in uh, uh, treating Americans, all Americans, bad. You know, I mean, this was, uh, it wasn't something that all Iranians did. I mean, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll testify to that, you know, I... Uh, my mom, as a matter of fact, she uh, made friends with a lot of Iranians who, uh, you know, loved Americans, and uh, and if they had any problems with Americans, at least they didn't, you know, they didn't take it out on us. So, you know, there, there was a lot of people who were civil, basically. You know, either they tolerated us or, for whatever reason, they were civil, you know, uh, the first two, three years of the revolution, after the revolution. They treated you like a normal human being. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, but there was those, you know, the... Uh, 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 those small groups that uh, were extremists, and they took everything uh, to the uh, highest level that they could do, you know, that, that, that they could take it. And uh, sure, you know, there was a lot of, uh, you know, uh, Yankee go home and, uh, you know, spit at you or throw rocks or mud or, uh, uh, you know, stuff like that. Sure, there, there was those, but then again, there was those other ones that uh, uh, thought, you know that this was barbaric behavior, and that uh, you know we we had you know they had no business treating us like that. So, in fact, in matter of fact, I knew a lot of uh, you know later on, you know, as, as I got older, I uh, came across with a lot of uh, uh, guys that uh, you know were Muslims. You know, as a matter of fact, there was one of them that was an Islamic priest, and he even was appalled by uh, the way that a lot of people treated you know me and my mom, especially. Uh, so you know, it, it wasn't really that they all did it; it was that small group that. Uh, um, you know the extremists that uh, really push the uh, the envelope to its uh, maximum limit. Tell me about some of the hardships that you and your mother endured up until you were sixteen. Well, <clears throat> I uh, you know I was physically attacked, uh, abused uh, by uh, again you know that that handful group of people. Uh, my mom. Uh, had been, you know, she had uh, mud thrown at her. She was called an American whore. Um, spit at, you know, people, you know, there was, you know, a few times where uh, people spit at her. And, uh, um, you know, again, I can't emphasize enough, you know, and uh, that you know, it was that small group of extremists that did this. It wasn't the entire, you know, Iranian uh, uh, population. Uh, so, yeah, you know, there was times where, you know, we faced ridicule. Uh, me at school, you know, for example, I, uh, when I was younger, uh, when I first started, started attending the uh, uh, Iranian school, you know, kids would come and push them down the floor on the ground and say, hey, you know, American chicken, you know, or, uh, you know, and my principal would stand there and just laugh, watch the whole thing, you know. So, um, you know, I had mud thrown in my face. I had uh, kids spit at me and... Uh, uh, a lot of times I'd be walking home from school and there was a gang of kids, you know, waiting for me around the corner, you know, and uh, so it, it wasn't uh, a holiday trip. That's that's for damn sure, you know, it wasn't. Uh, I'm sorry about the French. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. I get really into this and it just kind of flows out of me. Tell me about when you turned 16 and you're found on the street by Hezbollah. Oh, right. Well, what happened that day it was actually two weeks prior to my escape, to be exact. You know, my dad had already made all the 
arrangements. You know, I'd paid this uh, one group of uh, smugglers a uh, large sum of money uh, beforehand through my grandfather. God rest his soul, he's not with us anymore. He passed away last year. Uh, my grandfather was our uh, middle guy, you know, between us and Iran and the United States, you know, and the uh, State Department in uh, Washington. Uh, my dad had made all the preparations. State Department, they were waiting for me to uh, uh, get out of Iran, and then they were they were going to in- intercept me and basically bring me back to the States. Well, <clears throat> about two weeks prior to my escape, I'm outside playing uh, football or soccer, uh, they call it, or we call it. And uh, I'm, I've got the ball, and I'm running towards the goal, and as I'm getting ready to kick the ball in, um, I feel, you know, a bunch of my friends start running, saying, run, run, Hezbollah, you know, I'm like, what, you know? And just as I'm getting ready to turn around and see what they're pointing at, this guy grabs me by the back of the neck, I turn around, there he is, you know. And uh, so that's that's pretty much how that started. And when Hezbollah grabbed you, where did they take you? Well, they threw me in a, a bunch of other kids in the back of some military trucks, and uh, we... Um, we're taken to a military base out in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the desert, and uh, you know we uh, uh, started our training, you know, for that, which lasted for like a month or two. And then, and what were you told during this time? Were you told that uh, we're we're taking you off, or we're going to put you in prison, or we're going to put you on the front? What are you told as you're being put into the truck, and also as you're at this camp? Oh, definitely. They, they told us, you know, we're going for the front. I mean, you know, that there's no doubt about that. I mean, you know, you're taken to a military base and you're given military uniforms and uh, <laughs> you're trying to use a gun, you know. That pretty much uh, tells you everything right there. You know, you have no doubt about where you're going. Um, Did people resist? Well, yeah, you know, there were some kids. You know, I mean, I, uh, I, try, I kicked a little bit hollowed out a little bit because I knew what was going on and uh, but there were some other kids that actually started bawling and crying you know they they tried to uh, one kid actually ripped his shirt got his shirt ripped and he was trying to run and uh, but uh, overall you know it, a lot of us tried but it didn't do no good you know I mean when you're 15 14 16 years old you know what are you going to do what was your impression of Hezbollah at that time well um you know, you, you, when you live in that country uh, for, you know, for as long as we did, you, uh, you know, you, you watch things on TV, you know, you, <clears throat> you hear things on the news, you hear things from other people about what's going on. Uh, I came across a few of them, you know, that actually, uh, to be honest, turned out, you know, halfway decent. I mean, they were, <laughs> you know, they, um, but then again, the majority of them, were uh, you know pretty, pretty tough you know pretty uh, rough guys you know certainly not somebody you know you'd want to um, cross or uh, run into in the middle of you know in a dark alley somewhere. Like they were scary people, like gang members or mob well, members or something like that. Absolutely, they were they were pretty pretty tough, pretty rough guys. And at this time, you're going through the training. They're putting you through the training. And what sort of training are you going through? I mean, are they just saying, uh, here's a gun, go shoot this? Or are they putting you through some tactics? Or are they giving you some strategies? What are they, they giving you at well, this no, time? No, no, no. No strategies or anything like that. No tactics. It was basically, you know, you got your your, uh, your backpack, your, uh, uh, your rifle, and uh, your military boots, whatnot. And, uh, you know, you do some running, some uh, push-ups, some... Uh, 
Uh, you know, they teach you, you know, how to attack with a knife, how to throw a grenade, uh, basic stuff like that. You know, they, they teach you the basics. They don't teach you any, uh, it's not like our army, you know, where, uh, you know, you actually uh, receive training in tactics and, and you receive courses on uh, how to do this or how to do that, you know, nothing like that. It's very basic. In other words, they're also not giving you any tools to learn how to survive either. Oh, absolutely not. Oh, no. Like I said, you know, I was one of the lucky ones. There was a lot of, there was most of those guys that, uh, the kids that got yanked off the street, you know, they, they went straight. You know, they gave them a gun. Half of the guys there they didn't even know uh, which end of the gun was what. You know, <laughs> these are kids. You know, these are 15, 14, 16-year-old kids. You know, they, they've never held a gun in their life. You know, so they're like, you know, how do you shoot this thing? You know, here you are. You're in the middle of the battlefield. You know, you look over there, you, you know, a couple thousand yards down that way, you can see Iraqis walking around, and this guy standing here in the middle of nowhere doesn't even know how to load or shoot a rifle, you know, so um, I was actually pretty lucky. In your note to the show, you said that their main objective was to make sure that you were killed so they could say an American had given his light for Islam and the Khomeini regime. Yeah, for the Khomeini regime, yeah. They, um, um, you know, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not going to... Uh, anything in regards to Islam, but yeah, it was definitely for the Khomeini regime, definitely. And what was your family, and especially your father, doing during the time that you were going through the military training and, and basically getting ready to go to the front? Well, um... What was he for, trying to do to get you out? Well, <clears throat> actually... They had no idea that you know what had happened. They had no idea that I'd been uh, taken. I mean, I didn't. They knew I was taken, but they didn't know by who or or why. You know, as far as they knew, you know, I was kidnapped uh, by some uh, perverts or something. You know, they had no idea. Uh, <clears throat> of course, uh, uh, a day or two prior to our uh, departure uh, for the front lines, uh, they gave us uh, like a twenty-minute or fifteen-minute, um, you know, uh, time limit that we could call our homes, our families, and let them know where we're at and where we're going. So I did, and um, uh, I told my father, you know, he, he, I called him at work, and uh, he started, you know, crying and everything. And uh, uh, he just told me, uh, stay alive, you know, do whatever I can to stay alive. And uh, he's going to do everything he can to uh, work something out. And, of course, at that time, neither one of us, I don't think, I mean, I know I didn't. I, I don't know what he was thinking, but uh, I had no hope of that. You know, I mean, once, you know, they got you, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. So are you going into battle against the Iraqi army? Correct. Tell me what kind of fighters were the Iraqi army? Well, uh, I personally never uh, experienced uh, anything uh, from the Iraqis myself. You know, I was, I was only there for three months anyway before I... <laughs> I was able to get away. Um, so you didn't see actual battle? Oh, I did. I saw a lot of battle, uh, several occasions, but I never actually. Nothing, in other words, nothing had happened. Nobody. They didn't do nothing to me personally. You know, I mean, I, uh, I, I was never captured uh, to be tortured or beat, or I witnessed a lot of things that they did. Uh, I, but I also heard a lot of things. Um, basically, you know, I. I there was this one incident, for example, where uh, this one soldier was telling me about how uh, he was part of this one uh, uh, group or uh, unit that went into this uh, uh, small village or small town, uh, and they had, you know, pushed the Iraqis out of it, 
uh, that day, and uh, they went in there, and they were looking around, and uh, they went into what used to be a girls' school, and uh, <clears throat> but the Iraqis, after taking over the town, they turned it turned it into a uh, you know their uh, headquarters, and they went in there, and they went down the basement, they turned on the lights, and to their horror, they 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 saw about twenty, thirty girls, young girls, laying naked on a ping pong on about. 20, 30 ping pong, ping pong tables, and uh, as soon as they uh, flicked the light on these girls, spread their legs, and the girls were blindfolded. You know, they couldn't see nothing. Well, the, the, the soldiers start saying, you know, what the heck you think you're doing? And when the girls realized that they were Iranians, not Iraqis, they, you know, they, they closed their legs and they started crying. Well, the soldiers gave them blankets and wrapped them up and everything, and they asked them, you know, what the heck was going on here? And the Iraqi, or excuse me, these girls said that the Iraqis had told them anytime they hear footsteps, they're supposed to open their legs. Otherwise, they're going to be shot. And that was only one thing that, you know, that, that I heard that was, you know, that had happened, that the Iraqis had done. Uh, there was so many things, you know, there was acts of genocide, I mean, you know, uh, where they wiped out entire villages, you know, they uh, uh, massacred anyone. It didn't matter if they were young, old, uh, you know, it didn't matter, you know, I mean. Uh, I heard cases. I heard this one incident, for example, where uh, the Iranian soldiers had they found a uh, young nine-year-old girl, for example. Now, I'm not sure if I can talk about this on the on there, but uh, you know, they uh, she was dead. She was shot. She was naked. And she had been shot in a private area, and the soldiers went up to you know pick her up to take her and bury her or whatever, and they realized there's something in her mouth. Well, when they started looking, they realized it was a man's uh, uh, private area. And after questioning, you know, people around the village, you know, the the, uh, the town and witnesses and whatnot, they found out that I, I guess one Iraqi soldier had stuck his uh, private area in this little girl's mouth. She bit it off. Well, his fellow Iraqi soldier shot her once in the head and then once in the private area. And they left her little body there in the middle of the street. You know, so that again was another uh, example of what uh, uh, you know what happened there. I, so let's talk about your escape. How did you get out and all the details on how you were able to basically get out where few could? Well, <clears throat> you know, I've, I've explained, you know, I've given a full detail of this in my book. Uh, uh, but I will say that uh, I, uh, uh, you know, I, was in, I went into hiding uh, for about a year. After I uh, was able to get away from the front after three months, uh, I actually went home supposedly on a three on a two-week leave and as soon as i walked in the house my dad said don't put your bags down i'm getting you the hell out of here so uh uh we went uh and uh into another this other town and he uh uh put me up in the mountains and i went into hiding for about one year with the with a nomadic people called the gashkais or uh correct pronunciation with the gashkai and uh, they're one of the main uh, nomadic tribes in Iran. There's two of them, actually. One's the Bakhtiari and one's the Gashkai. Uh, they've been roaming the desert Iran now for like 5,000 years, you know, 3,000 years, whatever. And uh, so anyway, I was up there in the mountain for about one year, hiding with these people, you know. And, uh, you know, I had armed uh, bodyguards all around me during the whole duration. What was that like? I mean, were you just living in a cave at that particular no, time? No, 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 no. Actually, uh, <clears throat> I, I was standing in a, a mud hut, you know. Um, it was uh, spacious. It was nothing crude or anything like that. It was nice, uh, but it was made out of mud, you know, mud bricks or whatever. And uh, it was after after experiencing the war, you know, that to me was like uh, walking the park, you know. 
think I can laugh about it now, but, you know, it was, uh, um, I made friends with a couple of the guys, and, uh, you know, we played a lot of chess, uh, rode horses, um, talked about, one of them actually graduated, he went to college in uh, uh, Texas prior, you know, he, he uh, lived in America prior to the revolution, and, um, you know, so he talked about his experience in America, how he loved America, and how, he, you know, he wished he could go back. Uh, which, you know, that was a sentiment of a lot of Iranians, you know, at, at the uh, end there, you know, before I left. A lot of them, you know, love America. A lot of them uh, uh, would like to see America actually come back and the country to go back, you know, to the way it was. Uh, so anyway, after about a year, I, uh, you know, I was uh, smuggled across the uh, Persian Gulf on a boat, and we went through a, uh, not, not, directly through it, but on the outskirts of a hurricane, and uh, which it still hit us. You know, we almost uh, drowned. You know, the, the ship almost went down, sunk. And so the, the irony is that you escaped war and then almost drowned in a hurricane <laughs> boat. Yeah. I know. I know. It was, it was, it was something. Uh, definitely uh, icing on the cake, so to speak. Uh, we, uh, you know, I, I, yeah, the, the trip was supposed to have only been, like, I think one day. And it turned out to be three. And, um, you know, my dad's uh, brother is actually a doctor. And he told me, you know, he said, uh, when you go on uh, uh, on this boat, if you, because you've never been on a ship before, a boat or whatever at sea, don't eat or drink anything at all, whatever you do. So, luckily, I, uh, I had the sense of, uh, I had enough sense to listen to him. And uh, I thank God I did, because... Uh, once we hit those waves, we're talking waves about two, three stories high, you know, especially in a storm like that. And, um, yeah, there was, uh, there was about five or six other guys with me. I mean, it wasn't really a small boat. It was more like a, um, it wasn't a ship, but it was, uh, uh, it's kind of hard. I, I can't uh, think of uh, an example here. Um, how, how big was the boat? How many feet? Okay, it, it held uh, a total of, uh, with us and the, and the uh, ship's crew and everything, probably about uh, 20, 25 people. So it was, it wasn't a ship, but it was small. You know, it, was, it wasn't exactly a boat either, but, it, you know. Yeah, it was um, kind of like a cruiser. Put it that way. And so anyway, uh, you know, it, uh, a lot of the guys there started uh, getting sick because they, when, once we got to the ship, you know, they brought food down and they all started gorging, you know, and... Uh, and I started throwing up, and it uh, got so bad that there was nothing left to throw up, so he started coughing up blood, throwing up blood. And luckily, I didn't eat, eat or drink anything at all, so I was, I was you know, pretty much okay. And uh, so that, that went on for three days. And, uh, you know, until we finally got uh, to our destination in Dubai, or Dubai. And uh, the rest of it is uh, wonderful history. You know, I made it back home to America where I belong, and uh, proud of it. Did you fear any retribution from the Iranians while you were back in America? Oh, no, no, no. I mean, it, um, you know, it's not like I was a spy or anything like that. You know, I, so they were just okay with letting you desert? Well, no. Oh, you mean, well, you mean from the Army? Yes. Well, if I, I would have been caught while I was there, most definitely I would have been executed. Definitely. But they didn't come back after you once you had come to America. There was no, no uh, secret no. secret uh, army in, uh, in a, from Iran in America or anything like that. No, no, nothing like that. No, I 
uh, as long as you know, once I got out of it, I was fine. It, it's just that while I was there, you know, they uh, um, if they would have caught me and any other kids, because there was a lot of kids escaping from the war. I mean, you know, <coughs> excuse me, the um, you know Europe. Uh, you know, if you uh, uh, go, you know go look in Europe or whatever, you'll see you know there are literally hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands anyway of uh, Iranians that have been in Europe and uh, you know I don't know about the United States, uh, but I definitely know in Europe you know that have been here you know been in Europe uh, since uh, the war you know because these are guys that escaped and took uh, refuge you know, throughout the world. And, and you know, they, they went to Dubai, they went to Bahrain, they went to Kuwait. So there was a lot of them that escaped from the war. And if any of them would have, would have ever been caught prior to them, you know, getting out of the country, they would have been uh, most definitely executed. It's a fascinating story. And one of the things that I'm also curious about is how you see Iran today and especially the, the government. And, and what, what are your thoughts on all of that? I'm, I don't, okay, first, this, uh, the Iranian president, you know, uh, Ahmadinejad, I don't, uh, uh, I don't know him, you know, when I was there, he wasn't in power, you know, uh, I've never even heard of the guy until, uh, what, three, four years ago, uh, so, I don't know much about what kind of person he is, uh, but, if he's anything like, uh, the other guys, you know, that was there prior to him, you know, I, well, we all know where that you know where that's going. So, how do you view the Iranian government today? Are, are you, do you think that they're working for the people or against the people, or do you have no comment? Well, let me just say that uh, there are a lot of Iranians in Iran that are uh, on very unhappy with the way things are. Let's just put it that way. They. Uh, uh, there's a lot of them that are suffering. There's a lot of them that are uh, uh, facing persecution uh, for things that uh, anywhere else in the world would probably be considered a joke, you know. Um, you know, so that's basically you know what what it's all about. And how do you think that the average Iranian citizen sees America or the American people? To be honest with you, I think the average Iranian, which um, I'd even say I'd go up to 80%, 90 of 90% of the Iranian people actually love America and uh, love the American people. And a lot of them uh, would love to uh, uh, see America go back. You know, of course, you know, it's been 20, 20 years since I've been uh, in Iran. You know, and this, and so what I'm saying is 20 years, this is what I know of Iranian people 20 years ago. You know, because I don't have any ties right now with uh, my family back, you know, back over there in Iran. But this was 20 years ago when things weren't quite as bad as they are now. So this gives you an idea of just how uh, how much the Iranian people actually do like America and do like, you know, the American people. I mean, there isn't. I'll be honest with you. There isn't an Iranian in Iran that would not give the right leg or right arm, literally. If they had a chance to come, you know, come and live in, in the United States. So you're, what you're saying is that it's the extremists that are, are really the problem. Exactly. In Iran. Your average Joe is, uh, they're not, you know, they're not bad people. I'm not saying this, you know, because I'm half Iranian. I'll be honest with you. I haven't spoken to my father in, gosh, nearly uh, 10 years. 
you know, I mean, you know, so I'm, I'm not speaking out of any type of sentiment. As a matter of fact, you know, I'm, I consider myself a full American, you know, and I'm proud of it. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I thank God every day, you know, for the, for the privilege and honor that he gave me for being born, you know, to let me be born in the greatest country on earth, you know, where you're allowed to, to say what you want, dress the way you want, do whatever you want without being, you know, uh, afraid of being hung from the, from the nearest uh, lamppost or uh, uh, being beat or shot or whatever, you know. I, uh, so, but what I say is basically it's because it's, it's the truth, you know, and that is that your majority of Iranians are not actually bad people. You know, they're, uh, <clears throat> they face perse- persecution systematically every day. Uh, you know, they, they go through uh, things that most Americans, you know, some Americans can't even imagine. Uh, you know, um, so you know they're they're uh, they're good people you know, overall. You know, the uh, but it's that small group. You know, the the handful of group. You know, the handful of people that actually hold and have the guns and uh, the power. And they're the ones that uh, that's basically like the old saying goes. You know, a couple of apples, rotten apples, have given a bad name to the whole barrel. You know, that's basically uh, that's the case here. You know. I mean, tomorrow, I honestly believe, you know, if, uh, you know that people uh, would uh, love to see America, you know, to uh, go back into Iran like it was before, you know. And see, that's just really hard to believe, because I guess we've been hearing so much, especially from the media, mm-hmm. and, of course, we see the extremists politically sure. uh, who are, are ranting off the banter that... Uh, America is bad, the West is bad, and then here you're saying that the average Iranian would love nothing more than to see America and Western culture back, and that's just absolutely. That's just kind of hard to swallow in in a lot of ways. I know, I know. I, you know, I watch, I watch TV, I watch, you know, and uh, you know, I mean, think about it. You know, I mean, if, if if it wasn't true, I mean, the best thing for me to do would be to say the opposite because it would definitely help, you know, help my book. I mean, you know, I mean, why would I? Uh, uh, but what I'm saying is the truth. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, um, I, I mean, if you go, like, for example, if you go to uh, L.A., you know, if you go over there, there's like, I don't know, maybe, uh, give or take, two, three hundred thousand Iranians that live there. And most of those people have never even been to Iran. They're all, you know, been born in the United States. And, you know, if you go there, you'll see they dress just like, you know, we do. They, you know, the women wear hot shorts and mini skirts and makeup, and lip, you know, and uh, they're just like us. You know, no different. And uh, but it's the small group. You know, it's that small. You know, that handful of group that uh, are basically uh, they control uh, all the information that pretty much gets out. You know, uh, and that's you know that's what we that's what we Americans perceive. You know, on TV. You know, that's what we see. You know, and we say, hey, look, all these people are uh, <laughs> you know terrorists or whatever. You know, and that's that's not really the case. I mean, you know. Um, it's like over there, you know, the, the, the government used to preach, I remember, they used to say uh, all Americans uh, are responsible for what happened in Vietnam or all Americans are responsible for, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, whatever, you know. And that's not the case. You know, it's a handful of people high up that do whatever they want to do. And it's the little guys, us Americans, normal people, that uh, get the rap. Dar, it's time to play Ask Bill 3. This is where I'm going to turn the microphone over to you. And you can ask me three questions about anything, so fire away. Okay, well, um, I guess the only uh, questions I could think about was, uh, one, how long has your show uh, been going on? 
We've been doing the show since July of 2005, so a little over two years. Well, that's good. All right, well, um, what's, and also what's the uh, uh, radius of your show? I mean, what's, how far out does it go? I mean, is it... Uh... Well, we have listeners in over 40 countries through, oh, that's right. through okay. the podcast, and we've got a few uh, small radio stations who are also carrying the show over terrestrial radio, but the bulk of our listenership still comes through our subscriptions through the podcast. Oh, I see. Okay. All right. I guess uh, basically uh, last question would be, um, so I guess your second question answers my third question, <laughs> which is how many people uh, actually do listen to your show? I mean, is there any way you, know, you would know that? or? Yeah, we, we see downloads uh, usually on any given show, we've seen about five to 10,000 downloads per show. Really? Well, that's, that's good. I, I give it the equivalence of a small town radio station. That's about usually what most small town radio stations have. So, Right. Well, that's, that's very good. It's very impressive, actually. Dar, tell us about your book and tell us about how people can pick it up and read it for themselves. Sure, absolutely. Uh, my book, uh, in fact, right now it's uh, it's out. You know, it's on e. It's an e-book right now, of course. Uh, it will be out on uh, paperback sometime in uh, January. Uh, but uh, you know, if, the, if anybody's interested out there, you know, they can uh, go on to www.mobipocket.com, and that's spelled M-O-B-I-P-O-C-K-E-T.com. It's one word: mobipocket. Dot com and uh, basically all they got to do is type in Escape from Iran, and boom, there it is. And we'll have a link to that as well from our website, so our listeners can take a look at it and read your fantastic story for themselves. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, I, you know, like I said, you know, my book, uh, I'm not attacking any religions, you know, anything like that. You know, I'm not saying, hey, you know, let's go do this and to the Muslims or whatever. You know, it's not... Uh, my grandmother, God rest her soul, my father's mother, was a devout Muslim, and yet she was totally against the Iranian government from day one. You know, so for me to say that all Muslims are uh, bad would be just as bad as me saying all Iranians are bad. You know, so uh, that's not at all what my book's about. You know, it's basically about, like I said, you know, an American family who uh, got caught up in uh, the events of. Uh, uh, you know, unstable events at that time, and, uh, you know, I mean, my mother, God rest her soul, you know, uh, excuse me, God bless her, <laughs> she's still around, you know, she's, uh, you know, like I said, you know, she suffered two heart attacks, and uh, nervous breakdown, you know, she sits in her chair out on the porch and just cries, you know, and, uh, you know, she's really, it's really destroyed her, you know, it took a perfectly beautiful, healthy woman, a young girl at the time, of course, and, and uh, you know, uh, chewed her up and spit, you know, spat her out, and now, then, of course, my father, you know, he, he left her when she was no longer young and, uh, uh, you know, any good to him, and uh, went and married another woman, you know, left her there, and now she's, you know, so that's basically what this is about, you know, it's a reflection of, uh, of an American fan, pretty much an American family that was forgotten. I mean, everybody knows about the hostage takings and, uh, uh, you know, the American embassy in 1979, but nobody knows about us. We were the forgotten ones. You know, we were the, the ones.
ones that uh, nobody back home knew about. Dar, thank you so much for being our guest this week on You Are the Guest. Thank you. I appreciate it. You know, it was it was a pleasure. If you'd like to be a guest on a future show, just go to our website at www.youaretheguest.com. Submit your first name, the town where you live, and a short description on why you'd make a good guest. There is no charge for being a guest, and you'll have the opportunity to share what you think and how the news and events from today affect your life. The show's producers will contact you by email if you're chosen for a future show. If you'd like to drop me a comment about this week's show, just email me at billgrady at youaretheguest.com. That takes care of this week's show from the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa. I'm Bill Grady. Thanks for listening.